Hey everyone, welcome to Hollywood Sports Mom. Thanks for joining us. Today's my birthday. It's a big day. Um, but you know, there's something about getting to midlife that makes birthdays just a little bit different. I think you reflect more deeply, you appreciate things more. And as I often like to say on this podcast, you, you celebrate life a lot more. And today's not only my birthday. But it's the birthday of one of my beloved friends, former ESPN anchor, and so much more, Stuart Scott. Back in my ESPN days, I remember it was around 1998. I was hanging out at the MLB All-Star Game in Denver on this rooftop and with a bunch of ESPN coworkers after, after the Home Run Derby. And I was sitting there moaning about how, oh, in a couple weeks, because it was early July, a couple weeks, I'm going to be turning a quarter of a century old, because woe is me, I was 24 turning 25. Okay, ridiculous. And I heard this voice pop up and say, oh, your birthday's in July? It's not July 19th, is it? And I said, oh my gosh, it is. And it was Stuart Scott. And he said, so you never got to bring cupcakes to school either. And I just died laughing because he hit the nail on the head. When you have a summer birthday, you're like the loser kid who never gets your big day. You never get to wear the paper crown on your head and everyone's all applauding you because it's your birthday. <laughs> so we sat there and started laughing about, you know, our, our common birthday. And I said, wow, I've, I've never really known anyone who's had my birthday. And he said, well, I kind of haven't either. And he said, can I see your driver's license to like make sure you're legit? So <laughs> we showed each other our driver's license to make sure we were both, um, 719 birthdays. And, um, you know, we had all these other crazy random things in common the more we spoke. Like he had a baby girl named Taylor and I had a baby, a new baby niece named Taylor. Um, then he uh, went to Chapel Hill, you know, and had moved to North Carolina when he was younger. Well, so had I. And the more we spoke, the more I realized, holy cow, you were my you were my local news anchor. So when I moved to North Carolina and was this depressed teenager, because at the time I didn't want to be there, um, I would watch TV and I watched you. And here we are working together at ESPN years later. So as years went by, it was kind of funny. We started this July 19th club. And we started to realize there were so many people at ESPN who were born on July 19th. So Stuart would call and leave me messages. He's like, hey, Joe D'Ambrosio in, in uh, ESPN Radio, he's a 719er. And I'd be like, hey, the head of the X Games, Jack Wiener, he's a 719er. Same with Randy Gerstenblatt in sales. So it was like this club. And then people started saying, oh, do you know Sue is also a 719er? So we soon, all of us loser summer birthday kids form this fun club at ESPN called the 719 Club to the point where people who were born on like July 20th were like, hey, I'm kind of close. Can I be in the club? And we were like, no, we've earned it. So... It became about 15 of us at ESPN who would call each other. Some of us never even met in person, but it just kind of became this fun bond. And then we would go outside of ESPN. I remember Stuart texting me saying, hey, lightweight champ, John Bones Jones, you know, he's a 719er. And he sent a picture of the two of them. And he said, he's, you know, a baby 719er, but he's one of us. So through the years, we probably gathered a list of at least 40 people who, who belong to our special birthday club. And... The other thing Stuart and I both believed, we both believed in celebrating life and celebrating people. Um, we'd celebrate our joint July birthday together as much as we could. And we would, you know, all meet up with our coworkers and we'd all dance and we'd have cake and we would sing and we would eat ice cream. Um, 
And we just believed in celebrating as much as we could. And I remember at an ESPN event, Stuart introduced me to his sister, Susan. And Susan at the time was a, an exec at the Weather Channel. And I remember telling her, oh, wow, I have a, a five-year-old nephew named Evan, and he, he's all into the weather. He's obsessed with the weather. So we had this funny conversation about it. And she said, oh, what's Evan's you know, last name and his address? And I gave it to her. And, and lo and behold, my sister calls me. And a week later, this whole package from the Weather Channel showed up for my five-year-old nephew. And I remember being so touched. And, and I called or I emailed Susan. And I said, Susan, that was so kind of you. You didn't have to, you didn't have to do that. And Susan said, Carol, that, that's just what we do. And, you know, at the time, I was also a wannabe writer. I was writing scripts, even though I was working at ESPN. I was trying to pitch them to Disney. And I remember Stuart saying, I want to read your scripts. And I'm like, dude, you don't want to read. This is like little girl stuff. It's like, you know, kids, girls, movies for Disney. And he said, no, 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 Carol, you don't understand. I'm the father of two little girls. I was meant to be the dad of two little girls. This is exactly the stuff I need to read. This is exactly the stuff I need to learn. And he did. He read all my scripts. He provided feedback. And then shortly after, he and his beautiful longtime agent, Jackie Harris, set me up with all these meetings with Hollywood agents and people at Disney to, to pitch my scripts. And it sort of felt like I was, I was living a dream. But as Stuart's sister, Susan, so eloquently said, you know, a couple of years earlier, it's just, it's just what we do. And one year around... Um, 99, Stewart said he was going to be down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And he was going to the Hootie and the Blowfish Golf Tournament. I was going to be down there visiting my parents. I said, what are the chances we're both going to be in South Carolina at the same time? He said, I'll call you after the tournament. So he called me at my parents' house. He goes, Carol, the tournament's over and we're going out to do some karaoke. And why don't you come? And I'm like, Stuart, I'm, I'm you know, in my sweats. I'm really comfy. He said, no, no, no. Like we break up into two teams. It's our yearly tradition. And there's three of us. We need another member. So we want you to come. So it's going to be me, Michael and Charles and you. And Michael and Charles obviously need no last names. Okay. And I was such a loser. I'm like, well, I'm really comfy in my sweats. And there's this new show on air called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And it's like a really big hit. And it's with Regis Phil, but it's the number one rated show. And my dad and I are going to watch it and like play the guessing game. And Stuart just died laughing. And he's like, Carol Silver, this is why you're the best. You're just not phased. <laughs> and he made fun of me for years because I actually turned out doing karaoke with Jordan and Barkley and him, which, by the way, is a huge regret of mine to this day. But he basically was just like, this is exactly why, why we get along. Because like me, you know, a lot of this stuff just, just doesn't phase you. Through the years, I hit Stuart with so many of my boy problems. I mean, the poor guy could barely manage, okay? <laughs> and after one really bad heartbreak, I remember the next time I saw him, he gave me a Nora Jones CD. Uh, not a lot of people know, but Stuart loved Nora Jones. He loved her music. And he said, listen, I know you're going through something terrible. And there's something about her music that just makes everything better, you know, is soothing and always makes me feel better. So I wanted you to have this CD. And to this day, I can't listen to, to Nora, any Nora Jones song without getting choked up. At one point, I was around 32 and 33 maybe. I was at my wit's end. You know, I was a New York City single girl. 
And I remember Stuart and I went to lunch on Park Avenue South and we're sitting there in this restaurant. And I said, Stuart, I think I'm going to be single forever. And I'm fine with that. I have a great career. I have a great apartment. I love New York City. I'm willing. I, I'm happy to grow old here. But I want to be a mom. So I think I'm going to adopt a baby. And I've been looking into adoption from Guatemala and a couple other places. And, and Stuart was so supportive. And he said, listen, Carol, all you need to do is love a child. That's all you need to do. And he said, don't worry about time. Don't worry about the sleep you're going to lose. Don't worry about how you're going to find the money. It all works itself out. And none of that really matters. What matters is that you just love that child. And he kept repeating that. And I, I remember thinking, okay, that's kind of obvious, you know, of course I want to love my child. But then it's funny as the years went on, I actually met people who, who didn't receive unconditional love at times from important people in their lives, their parents and others. And it's almost as if it took me years to catch up to where Stuart's brain was. And, and that, was, that was what was so amazing about Stuart because that he invoked this, this wisdom, um, kind of like an old soul um, in the words he said. So in this crazy world of Hollywood and sports, I'd found a loyal, true friend who I knew would, would always have my back. Um, we had this rare, deep bond over all these weird past connections and that happened to bring us together in the same you know, place and time and same company. And around 2004, this, this wonderful exec, Mark Shapiro, um, decided to take a chance on one of my show ideas. And I had pitched an idea about finding, the, finding a kid's sportscaster out there in the world who was genius and giving them a shot on air. And Mark took me to a restaurant, Houston's restaurant in New York City one day. And he said, listen, I'm not ready to move on the kid angle because when you deal with kids and stuff, there's just too much, it, it gets a little complicated. However, I'm willing to do a version that's more like the American Idol of sportscasting. So let's find someone who missed their calling, uh, whether it's a plumber, a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, whoever it is, a college kid. Um, you know, let's do this big tour and do our own version of American Idol. And then Mark hit me with, you know, and the, the prize, the prize will be they'll get to host SportsCenter once in a while, which as anyone knows who watches ESPN, SportsCenter is the crown jewel. You know, that's their, their flagship show. So it was a huge, huge win for somebody. So on that day on a cocktail napkin in Houston's restaurant in New York City, we literally wrote it, all these thoughts down on a cocktail napkin. Uh, our reality show called Dream Job was born. And Mark and I had discussed asking Stuart to host. He knew Stuart and I were good friends. And, and he said, listen, tell, call Stuart, you know, ask him if he's game to host this show and tell him, you know, I give my full support because Mark was the boss. And I remember that day I, I paced up and down Third Avenue outside of our office. I was so like, even though Stuart was a good friend, I was like, listen, are you willing to take a chance? Are you willing to host this show? Um, and I said, let me tell you something, though, that you need to know. Um, we are getting some pushback from some folks in Bristol. There are some anchors who are really upset that are saying, listen, you know, I slugged it out in small stations and now you're just going to hand a gig on SportsCenter to some random person and they didn't have to go through what I went through. And Stuart said, hold tight, hold tight. Let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. We're about to make somebody's dream come true, right? And I said, yes. And he said, I'm in. He said, don't worry about any other anchor. He said, the anchors that support you are self-confident. The ones that don't support you, that's just their insecurities. 
So there we went. <laughs> Me, Stuart, about 12 producers on a cross-country trek, along with those self-confident ESPN anchors who were willing to help us, like Linda Cohn, John Anderson, Steve Levy, Jeremy Schapp, just to name a few. We scoured the U.S. from New York to Texas to Montana um, to California to find candidates um, and people who may have missed, missed their calling. Our first big audition was in New York City uh, at the ESPN Zone in Times Square, smack in the heart of New York City. Now, I remember Stuart and I showed up that morning. It was the first audition, 8 a.m. We had no idea what to expect. I mean, are people going to be showing up? We had no idea. Sure enough, they did. And they were lined up, you know, way going around uh, the block in Times Square. And it was an it was an awesome spectacle. And I remember a local news reporter came up with her camera crew and she came up to Stuart and I and she's like, I want I want to interview you, you know, about what's going on here in this show. And Stuart said, no, you don't interview me. You interview her because she did all this. And Stuart just walked away. And I left there. I, I sat there by myself. I'm like, oh, my gosh, because I had never done an on-air interview before. So my face went blank. I don't know how I got through this interview. <laughs> and then I got through it, and I went into the ESPN zone, into the bathroom. I got sick to my stomach because I was just so filled with nerves. But it was a touch of tough love from Stuart. And he threw me into the fire intentionally. Um, because he knew I needed to build my self-confidence and he knew I needed it to get through this season of my first ever show. So after our first episode taped, I remember I went up on the set and I thanked Stuart because I, I knew he had something special. And he said, Carol, he just looked me straight in the face. He goes, don't let anyone ever take this from you ever. This is yours. You fought for it. It's yours. And together, all of us, we killed it. I mean, Dream Job tripled ratings in its time slot. And, and as Stuart predicted um, that day, I was pacing down Third Avenue asking him to host. We ended up launching the career of five on-air voices and faces you probably listen to or hear quite often. A few years later, I got a job transfer to L.A., and I began dating George, the, the wonderful guy I would soon marry. And I remember one of the best voicemails Stuart ever left me <laughs> was about George. And he said, you know, I keep hearing from people about your new guy and I'm really happy for you and all. But what's pissing me off is that I keep hearing everyone saying that he kind of dresses better than I do. And that's bullshit. So why don't you bring him to the SV so I can give him the once over? <laughs> that was Stuart. And around this time, Stuart had began his, his battle, his surprise battle, um, with a surprise cancer finding. And I remember him telling me, Carol, I took up MMA, uh, MMA fighting, and he would send me pictures of his MMA fighting. And he said, listen, every single time I, I feel bad, I feel exhausted, I feel sick, I know that's the cancer, and I'm going to beat the crap out of it. Like, I'm not, I'm not sitting down and taking this. I'm going to fight back. And his sheer willpower and strength still blows my mind to this day. And throughout his battle, he would, he'd call me and he'd leave, he'd call me in LA and he'd leave me messages and he'd be like, listen, I got a personal update and I need you to call me. And, um, I don't want, I want you to hear it from me and I don't want you to hear it from the media. And he didn't have to do that. I mean, this was a guy with so many siblings, so many friends, so a big family. He was exhausted, but 
he always kept me on his call list. And it was just another sign of his love and his loyalty. When George and I were getting married, Stuart left me one of the most beautiful voicemails, a three-minute voicemail, because he couldn't make it out to our wedding, with advice about marriage, about the wedding. Um, And I cannot tell you how relieved I am that I saved that voicemail. It's my oldest saved voicemail. I've had it for over 10 years because there are times in this crazy life, whether it's things in the world, whether it's things I've gone through health-wise where I just take solace in hearing his voice again. And I remember when we launched our NFL Honors Award show, um, I ran into Rich Eisen, who was Stewart's co-host for all those years on SportsCenter. And I was running by. I said hello to Rich. He called me over. And with the most serious of faces, he said, Carol, do you hear from Stewart a lot? And I said, you know, Rich, not as much as I used to. Um, and But I still hear from him. And he said, me too. And, and like the true friend he is, Rich said, Carol, it's okay that we don't hear from Stewart as much now. You understand that, right? And I said, yes, Rich. I understand it. It was sort of a solemn, solemn moment between two people who knew him so well. So as you can imagine, it was so incredibly odd and shocking to to wake up one January morning um, and to read on Twitter that one of my closest friends was gone and and too quickly. And we, we knew he was still in the throes of his battle, but I don't think any of us expected um, for a turn to take the way it did so quickly. And I know Stuart. Stuart would have thought it was so cool (laughs) to see tributes that poured in from everyone, from President Obama to top executives all over. I mean, nearly every world-renowned famous athlete talks about him that day. But I also know that Stuart would have been most proud of the tributes, sometimes that were only privately spoken amongst some people and not publicly, that came from his childhood friends, his college buddies, who he adored, his family, his daughters, his girlfriend, and his closest friends who, who were there with him spiritually and, and sometimes physically at times. Because stardom aside, that's the core of who Stuart was, and, and, and that's, that's what he was about. And, you know, it's always hard to lose a loved one. I'm, I'm no expert on death or people passing. Um, I know when my grandparents died, you know, I cried like I never cried before. But when you lose someone young, it's, it's entirely different. You know, it, it, it stays with you because it doesn't make sense. And, and it doesn't seem fair. And you wake up and you sometimes even question, like, are, are they really gone? Like, Am I dreaming? Did that really happen? It's that kind of surreal. It's hard to grasp and it's hard to accept. And like I said earlier, the first time Stuart and I met, we had, we had so much in common um, in our 16-year friendship. And, and one of those things was that he was my local newscaster when I was a kid here in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And I'd sit and I'd watch him on the news as a 16-year-old and I'd have... I had no clue that he'd end up one of my closest friends. And um, so Stuart was laid to rest in Raleigh, North Carolina. And mid-pandemic, me and my family relocated back to Raleigh to be near my siblings and my parents. And 
It's interesting because Stuart and I had traveled the Hollywood road together. We went from city to city, sporting event to sporting event, laughing the whole time, enjoying these once in a, once in a lifetimes together. And now in some poetic twist, he's just up the road from me. And I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe we really all do go back to where we sort of came from. Um, because what feels like home oftentimes really is home. Every year I celebrate my birthday on July 19th, and I celebrate Stuart's too. He's my birthday buddy, and I always will celebrate him. As my Greek family says, may his memory be eternal. And through storytelling, it always will be. So thank you for listening. Go celebrate life. I love you, Carol Silver, my July 19th buddy. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you.